Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And my name is Christian Sager. So a question that I think a lot of us are asking ourselves right now is, who are our heroes? Or maybe that's something that every generation asks themselves. Oh, yeah. But, but especially it just, it feels like right now, like people are wondering, like, could I be a hero? Who are my heroes? Uh, what, what is a hero? Like, what do we even mean when we say that? Right. Yeah. Or don't be a hero. We often, yeah, that <laughs> we too. often hear that, uh, that phrase, uh, tossed about every time I'm trying to stop a bank robbery, somebody tells me. Don't, Don't be, be a hero. hero. Well, this is a, it's interesting. This is something we'll get into because it, it kind of boils down the nature of the hero. The hero is an individual who stands outside of expectations, yeah. uh, traditions, social norms, and we love the hero. But when you start trying to, to boil down exactly what a hero is, even if you just, if you set aside, say, literary traditions, mythic heroes, et cetera, and you just try and say in daily life, what is a hero and what what is heroism and what makes a person heroic? Uh, it gets tricky. Yeah, it, it, it's almost like the qualities that would make up a hero are also qualities that we may, I guess, depending on your culture, but we may associate with somebody that's kind of a jerk. Yeah, I mean, it's entirely <laughs> time dependent. Uh, it's entirely culture dependent. Uh, you know, one one culture's hero is another culture's, um, you know, terrorist. Uh, one time, yeah, right, and, right. and, and by time as well. I mean, some heroes stand the test of time and last for centuries, even millennia. Uh, other times a hero's hero, uh, um, heroic nature and their heroic reputation doesn't even like last beyond their own lifetime. Yeah. So when we were researching for this episode, I found this quote in one of the papers from, uh, Lord Tennyson's poem, The Charge of the Light Brigade, which everybody oh, yeah. knows this quote, but, uh, maybe not that that's where it came from. Theirs is not to reason why theirs is but to do and die, which encapsulates the heroic duty of the soldier. And it also suggests that the motivation for heroic action doesn't really come from reason or rationality, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's part of what we're going to examine here today is really looking at, we're going to break down and look at, you know, what heroes have meant through myth, which is something that Robert and I have covered on the show before. There'll be a little overlap with our previous episodes on mythology, but also culture. And then there's this fantastic paper that we read by Franco, Blau, and Zimbardo, uh, that really breaks down the modern definition of what a hero is and then empirically studies it with a group of people to try to get their interpretation. And it, and it turns out that the, um, what they thought a hero was wasn't what their, uh, study group. Yeah, it's a fascinating paper and we'll definitely, uh, get into it. Uh, just to, to throw this out though at the beginning, if you're looking for just Quick and easy definitions of heroism. You often see it summed up as anyone who acts in a pro-social manner despite personal risk. Yeah. So keep that in mind as we start rolling through the, you know, the, the mythic, the legendary, uh, storytelling, human psychology, all the different, uh, uh, avenues that one might explore, um, the hero. So as we were doing the research on this, I found myself thinking back to an old girlfriend of mine. This is strange. Oh, yeah. But, but she had, she acted like a hero one day. And when, when I was thinking about the definition of it, I thought the only person I think in my day to day life that I've encountered that's 
been heroic is this woman that I used to date. Um, this one time we were on a bus mm-hmm. and there was a guy sexually harassing a, a woman across from us. Mm-hmm. He was just really like leering and kind of like purposely sitting next to her and like rubbing up against her. And the, the woman who was being harassed was traumatized. She was like very upset, but also like very meek and just didn't talk and was just kind of curling up. And my girlfriend at the time got up, physically went over, uh, confronted the guy. And then when he stood up, sat down in the seat and made sure that he, he didn't continue it. And she didn't like cause an altercation or anything, but she just made sure that she, that the other woman was safe Mm -hmm. and felt like, you know, like she was, uh, I guess protected and that could have gone any number of bad ways. Right. And at the time, and, and to this day, I mean, it's been probably 20 years since this incident. I, uh, I think to myself, why didn't I do that? Mm-hmm. I could have done that. And I didn't. Um, and there are situations now, especially like, you know, we've talked about on the show before about how there's a rise in bullying right now where I think to myself, like, I need, I need to be the person who does that. If something like that happens again in, in my, you know, uh, immediate circle, you know, in my presence in public or whatever. Uh, and I hope that I can, but I was just, I, that was one of the few moments I was just, it was remarkable to me. Cause you know, that guy could have like, I don't know, he could have been crazy. He could have like gone off and like punched my ex-girlfriend in the head or something mm-hmm. like that or, or whatever. Um, but, uh, it worked out in the end and it, it sort of falls along that description that you gave, you know, she was pro-social, uh, and she did it despite any personal risk that she might have faced herself. Yeah. And a, and a hero acts. That's one of yeah. the, the key things. Now, it, the, the nature of that act, the level of the risk, the, the nature of the risk may vary, but a hero acts. A, a hero actually does the thing that they're thinking about, uh, you know, and, and isn't just uh, looking back and saying, Hey, that event that occurred two hours ago, if I'd done this, that or the other, maybe I could have, I could have helped. Yeah, exactly. And so I think that's maybe, maybe this is just me, but I think that's what a lot of us are coming back to mm-hmm. now is the, the rise in bullying, thinking about that and then thinking, would I act heroic? In in the case of uh, something like that happening in front of me. Yeah. Now, that, of course, is only one minute example of heroism. Uh, We're going to go through and and really break it down, especially with that article by Franco Blau and Zimbardo. I mean, they break it down to what is it like 10 or 12? I think 12. Yeah. Yeah. uh, Various types of heroism. And so as you're listening, maybe think to yourself. Okay, so does this apply to me or do I agree with this? Is that what my definition of a hero is? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely keep all this in mind, uh, your own personal take as we move forward. So I think the the first place to start here is to start with the mythic, uh, especially since these mythic ideas of of uh, of heroism are often the uh, the models that we kind of draw from, you know, and maybe yeah. not like literally, you know, if you're on the bus and somebody's, uh, uh, you know, acting weird, you're not thinking I am going to be Hercules. You're right. Hercules <laughs> was the immediate one I went to. Yeah. That's like the prototype. Yeah. yeah. And, and he'll, he'll definitely come up here there, but it, of course there are various forms of mythic heroes, uh, two distinct forms that emerge, particularly in, in Eastern traditions, but with the parallels in other traditions is the conquering dominant hero, which, you know, Hercules. Yeah. Uh, and then the opposite, the noble failed hero. So sometimes you slay the dragon and sometimes the, the dragon slays you, right? It's true in life. It's true in myth. So you can, you can have a hero who 
who tries to get something done and fails, but they're still a hero. Yeah. And this is where it connects back to uh, episodes that Robert and I have previously done on mythology. So if you've heard those episodes, some of this might sound familiar to you, but we're really going to focus in on the hero aspect here. Mm -hmm. So as a reminder, you know, mythology informs culture and the archetypical hero is this character that serves a purpose in that it's a, it's a, it's a symbol. They're our ideal person, right? Um, but it's also worth noting, these are the traits that we've associated with heroes, I'd say up until maybe the last 20 or 30 years, maybe, maybe even sooner. I don't know. Uh, they're male, first of all, almost mm-hmm. always male. Courage, uh, leadership. They have noble sentiments. They are willing for, to do self-sacrifice. They're brave and strong. Uh, usually, uh, Heroes are divine or uh, of some kind of royal ancestry, and they had great physical prowess. Think uh, Luke Skywalker, right? Yeah. Like Luke Skywalker seems like he's just some schmuck kid from a farm, but it turns out that he's got this divine ancestry, that his father is, you know, this uh, great uh, warrior, and that he's inherited his abilities, and so he's got all these amazing powers. There's your physical prowess, right? Um, and that's not a coincidence, by the way, as we'll get into George Lucas is pretty heavy in the hero mythology camp. But these heroes always have a mission. Uh, it's usually some kind of quest where they have to face great danger and perform some kind of amazing feats. They're usually warriors. Uh, and that's why until relatively recently, our heroes have always been our protagonists, too, right? Yeah. Now, now it's worth pointing out here that when we think about our heroes, we often think about, oh, the heroes acting for the greater good. Yeah. But even in our mythic traditions, you see heroes that are motivated by yeah ideals, by nobility, by patriotism or nationalism. But you also see them motivated by revenge, by pride, totally. by the spirit of military conflict or just, you know, or violence, if you will. So so even in the mythic traditions, they're not always completely pure in their intentions. Right. Yeah. I think it depends on the cultural context that mm-hmm. they're within. Right. That like. Maybe revenge is something that's valued in a culture at a particular historical moment. Um, but the thing to remember about these hero myths is that they're universal. It's really easy right now, like to, let's say, like watch a bunch of trailers for movies that are coming out next year and you see, I don't know, Spider-Man or Transformers or Fast and the Furious 8. Right. And you go, oh, these all look silly. These like bubblegum candy wrapper. Uh, I candy movies. That's, I don't know where candy wrapper came from. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, they're all like following this tradition of the heroic myth, right? Right. And, and if, and if you watch enough of them, especially a lot of the superhero movies that come out, they follow the exact same pattern. It's totally. the exact same character with a, a slightly different costume, different, uh, powers, maybe a slightly different, uh, world. Yeah. But it's, basically the same story because it's a universal thing it's it's a human trait this mm-hmm. idea of the hero uh and the values of the heroes almost always prize individuality which is pretty interesting uh and there's some theories that the hero myth may have actually provided us meaning human beings with a behavioral model that leads to cohesion and stability in our societies especially when we're undergoing conflict and change so it's interesting, like when you're when you're in a period of time where it feels like there's a lot of change happening, uh, you know, look to your pop culture. Like, how are the heroes being represented? Are they are they modeling some kind of behavior that's supposed to make I don't know comfort us as we get through it? You know, right. um, 
which leads us to our two big scholars of myth. Do you want to talk about them now? Yeah, yeah, let's go ahead and uh, and hit our uh, our Campbell and Jung. Okay, so we've we've talked about these guys on the show before and we're not going to dive too deep into them today because we've got a lot to talk about with heroes. But there are two major scholars that are often cited. In fact, the encyclopedia entry on heroism includes both these guys. Uh, Joseph Campbell, who is known as the author of The Hero with a Thousand Faces. This is a book that came out in 1949. It has infamously influenced George Lucas and I would say probably half or more of Hollywood screenwriters. Mm-hmm. Um, Campbell's big claim to boil it down was that he pinpointed the common characteristics of hero myths from across the world. And he had this formula. Uh, I'm not going to go through the whole thing today. You can look it up online. Uh, but it has 17 stages and he, it basically breaks down like this. Um, the hero leaves his normal life behind in order to undertake a quest that leads to a problem. The hero faces a series of challenges from which lessons are learned. Uh, and then they usually receive aid. It can be from a human helper or a non-human helper. Mm-hmm. So there's like, there's already a uh, room in there for f- fantastical elements. And then finally, the hero finds the solution to this problem and they return to society with it. I think this is important to keep in mind for later discussions because this this narrative arc is essentially hero's normal. Hero steps out and does something heroic. Hero steps back into normal life. Yeah, definitely. And so you can this formula you can you can look at it one of two ways. One is that like our storytelling traditions have always used this formula, Mm -hmm. which is Campbell's argument. Or you can look at it as Campbell influenced an entire generation of storytellers. And therefore, our pop culture for the last 50 some odd years has incorporated versions of this formula throughout mm-hmm. it. Right. I think about community a lot when Campbell comes <laughs> up now. Do you, do you know about this? Like, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, he, uh, 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 Harmon used uh, this a bit. Didn't yeah. He? Dan Harmon has this fascinating uh, like method of breaking down his narrative. And there's some really great articles out there online that re- examine it. It's not exactly what Campbell does, but uh-huh. it's basically the same thing. Like every episode of community boils down to this and it's a 30 minute sitcom. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then so does star Wars or so does the entire star Wars trilogy, right? Like you can, uh, this is like a, an old professor of mine used to call it the, the make it fits model. Like it's the kind of academia where you take the model and you just lay it on top of something. And you go up, oh, it fits. Therefore it's confirmed. Right. Yeah. But there's some examples. I think some of the more interesting examples of pop culture are when we deviate from that formula. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's going to be a certain amount of confirmation bias in, in looking at that when you lay the, well, the, the certainly formula. for us. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, <laughs> But it, it's it's interesting to point it out here because it's the it's kind of like our relationship with the mythic. We yeah. we look to that as the the model. We look to that and we try and see reflections of our own life or what our own life could be in the character, but also in the story in the way that it is story shaped in a way that life is almost never story shaped. Exactly right. Our life never fits this formula. I mean, I can't think of a way to look back on the events of my life for the last 39 years and lay down uh, Campbell's formula over any period of time Uh where it lines up with this perfectly. And yet he argues and, and Jung also argues that this is kind of a universal human thing. Now, Jung's thing Young was a psychoanalyst whose main theory was that archetypes reappear in the collective unconscious and that this is something that all human societies share. If you go back to our mythology episode, we dive pretty deep into this. Young saw this as 
this kind of like ancient universal mind that was common to all humans, like like an ancestral memory. And this explained to him why we had all these same archetypes across different cultures that had never even met before. And the hero was one of the most prominent ones for him. If you go and you look at his all, how all of his archetypes break down, hero is a pretty big one in there. But Robert, you have a pretty big question that I think is worth revisiting throughout this episode, which is mythic heroes, any kind of heroes in the modern sense, do they fit this? Yeah, I think that's a, that, that's the question I've been trying to ask myself about a number of these. Are they, uh, you know, we, we can look at, at, at Hercules. Uh, we can look at some of these other models and uh, do they line up with what we think of as a, as a hero today? Yeah. I mean, like I think of, and we'll get to this later, but I think of like my, current heroes mm-hmm. and they don't they don't really line up with that archetype well, well let's let's talk about that let's start, go ahead and talk about like personal heroes and everybody okay. I'm, I'm sure has their own list and they can you know you can share them with it with us if you want yeah uh but i was trying to think who are the the individuals that i just easily go to as heroes not individuals who like if i had to say who are the greatest heroes yeah. in our modern times who's the who's the, the greatest hero in the you know the, the the history of this country or whatever right but just personal heroes like i would think okay uh hunter s thompson um i would say scott simon uh the npr um uh reporter and i would probably go stephen king or maybe brian mcnaughton and the each of yeah. these individuals like stands for something a little different uh you know you know in my own uh attempt to figure out like what I am and who I am. Um, like Hunter S Thompson is a figure that like showed me that, Oh, you can, you can find this, uh, you, you can, you can sort of make your own path in the world yeah. and, uh, and you can use writing and, and you can, you can still have this free spirit. Uh, Stephen King, of course, is the, 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 the ultimate, uh, uh, mythological modern writer figure for anyone who ever picks up a pen. Yeah. And, uh, and Scott Simon is a guy who more recently was kind of, became kind of a hero to me when I was going through, when my wife and I were going through adoption process. Yeah. And I saw, oh, here's a, because here's a, you know, here's a very rational guy, uh, and he's, he's engaged in the same, uh, life, uh, journey that I'm about to go down. Yeah. He provided a model for yeah. you to sort of normalize a process that, that was probably scary. Yeah. And, you know, and, and certainly he's, he's a guy that I wouldn't have put on the personal hero list prior to that experience. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, well, we share Stephen King on this. Yeah. It's hard not to, not to, to share that one. Well, you know, and it's, it's weird. I, I think a lot about this, especially, you know, you and I both write outside of doing the podcast as well. We write fiction, mm-hmm. we write horror fiction, but, um, I, I think my argument for people like Stephen King and and other people like uh, I've mentioned, you and I both talk about Grant Morrison on the show a lot. I think oh, yeah. I think of him as a hero. Uh, another guy I think of is Ian MacKay from Fugazi. Mm-hmm. Really, these people, and I know this sounds strange, but they they modeled and influenced my life. And I don't think that's what we mean by heroism, especially when we go back to these definitions and 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 when we talk further about the academic definitions of it. But yeah, because uh, any of these lists, if I have to say, well, what did Hunter S. Thompson do that was heroic? <laughs> what did Stephen King do that was heroic? Yeah, I, I mean, there and there is there are particular cases with all these individuals who could make you could make a case for yeah. for for heroism. But I'm not sure it's the kind of any of them that would make the list of examples of everyday heroism. You know, right? Unless there's something that 
I'm forgetting one of their timelines. Well, I wrote an article about Stephen King a couple of years ago, um, sort of celebrating him as my hero. Mm-hmm. And the, the thing that I hit upon that there's some academic literature on is that he has had an influence on people learning to read at an early age. And that, oh, yeah. that was definitely the case for me. I mean, I started reading his novels when I was five years old. Yeah. And a lot of people would say, that's way too young, but at the, I, I I think that is way too yeah. young to read a Stephen King. Yeah, novel. and I saw The Shining for the first time mm-hmm. when I was five years old too. Um, but it, I have to say, like Stephen King, uh, always like helped. I don't know, teach me the moral complexities of the world as I was growing up in a way that, like, frankly, I didn't get from my parents. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's for better or for worse, right? Like, yeah, I also may be a little bit screwed up because I saw an elevator filled with blood when I was five years yeah. old, you know? Um, but it's also weird to reconcile this, especially this hero idea, because let's be honest, the man that Stephen King was in the eighties when I was growing up and reading his stuff wasn't ex- anything close to a hero. He was an addict who was abusive. He took risks. Uh, I, I think I've told this story on this show before. Reportedly, uh, the cinematographer on the set of Maximum Overdrive lost vision in his uh, one of his eyes. There was uh, apparently an accident. I mean, Maximum Overdrive, of course, is based on a, a short story and is about machines coming to life and running amok. Yeah. One of the remote control lawnmowers uh, allegedly went out of control. Yeah. And uh, and there was a like wood splinter situation, and this resulted in a big lawsuit. Uh, the Italian uh, uh, cinematographer, uh, whose name eludes me, uh, yeah, they ended up settling out of court. But yeah, there's a big stink. So it's like there's some cognitive dissonance there, where it's like, well, this guy was a hero to me. You know, I learned so much from his books growing up, and and I and I want to write. I want to have the same effect with my writing as he did on me. But then I'm like, well, he also cost a guy and his eye. You know, or maybe, mm-hmm. uh, allegedly. There, by the way, there's apparently a, a script out there on the blacklist about um, the making of Maximum Overdrive. Is that right? Yeah. Oh, I would die to see that. Yeah. Um, what's even weirder is I can think of people who actually meet the hero status, but they're not the people who meet my list. Like the first person I think of when I think, well, who's a hero? John Lewis, uh, mm-hmm. our congressman. Oh, yeah. Uh, I think of him as a hero. Civil rights icon. Yeah. And he absolutely did the pro social stuff and put his personal, uh, life in, in danger at risk. He yeah. took, he took a lot of risks, but he's not who I immediately think of because he didn't influence my life. That's probably because I'm a privileged white guy, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I turned to Stephen King instead, maybe, maybe for other people. Maybe it's like family members in their lives who, I don't know, um, served in the military or were firefighters or something like right. that. Um, but that, I guess that tells you a little bit about us that like our heroes are writers. Yeah. And when we pick and choose why we like them, you know, we can all think of any, any number of personal heroes that had severe problems, problems that we don't actually want to reflect in our lives. Yeah. Um, uh, but I don't know, sometimes the, the faults make them attractive in a way. Like it's, yeah. they're, they're human. These are human individuals who, yeah, there was all this other stuff that, that did not work in their life, but some of these things did. And maybe I can pattern my successes after their successes. So what about the cultural hero, which is a little different from the mythic hero, right? In that it's, it, it's, a uh, I guess like glued to a specific time and place. Yeah. And often, sort of used to summarize uh, certain points in the timeline of a culture. Uh, so some of the examples that, that come to mind, you have uh, you have the savior 
an example in a Chinese myth that has come up before uh, in our episode on great floods, Yu the Great, who uh, was able to solve the great flood in China by figuring out how to do, uh, you know, proper uh, um, canal systems and mm. water management. You have uh, culture bearers. These are the, you know, the, the individuals who who bring some sort of God uh, pilfered knowledge to the people. And in Chinese tradition, you have the fire driller, uh, Su Jin. So is fire. Yeah, I mean, that's the, the Promethean yeah. Uh, yeah. thing, you know. Uh, then, of course, there's the warrior. Uh, Achilles is a great example of this. And then there's the founder. Uh, and the, a reasonable example here would be Romulus and Remus. You know, they're mythological figures that really kick it off. Uh, either either they're the, the first people or they're the, you know, the first of a, of a new culture, a new race, etc. Have you ever been to Rome, Georgia? Um, yes, I'm not remembering any of it, but I'm pretty sure I've been through it. So Rome's, I don't know what, like maybe 30 or 40 minutes north of Atlanta where mm-hmm. we're at. Uh, it has a big statue of, uh, it's Romulus and Remus, right? Oh, okay. Who weaned off of yeah, the yeah. wolf. Oh, they have that one. Maybe I yeah. haven't been to Rome, yeah, Georgia. In the town of Rome, Georgia, mm-hmm. there's this giant statue of them. And you know, it's, it's a, it's a weird thing because you see that and you're kind of like, well, that's, that's kind of gross. And, yeah. In a weird thing. Human infants uh, nursing from a wolf. Yeah, yeah. But I think it's supposed to represent what you're just talking about this, the idea of founding civilization. <laughs> but, mm-hmm. but at the same in time, Rome, there's this weird kind of like <laughs> bestiality thing going on. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's strange. And I think it's important to work out here too. And this is definitely like a, if anybody who's listened to this show or any other shows that I've been on before, this is an area of study I'm really interested in. Our heroes have impact on culture through the creation of stories, whether it's literature, movies or comic books or whatever you're consuming, mm-hmm. right? And we repeat popular legends from centuries ago while creating new ones that basically adhere to the same model. Like when you brought up Hercules at the beginning of the episode, the first thing that popped in my mind was that like awful Hercules movie with the rock that came out like two years ago. (laughs) And I was like, "Uh, man, we're just going to keep going back to that well over and over again, you know, and it makes sense. Uh, And if Hercules doesn't work out and that IP is a little bit dirty for a while, then we'll create something new or we'll do Spider-Man or or Batman or whatever. And today's cultural heroes, they might represent some slightly different values, right? Than the ones that we already attributed to uh, previous mythic heroes. Like, there's this interior journey of self-discovery and growth that we see now in heroes. And sometimes they're unwilling actors, right? They're not performing these deeds of heroism of their own volition. Sometimes they're rebels, right? We're what? We're like a week out from Rogue One coming out. Mm-hmm. And uh that clearly is a movie that's all about rebellion. There's already been... Uh, what, like some commentary from, I believe, the Trump campaign saying that they think that the movie had rewrites. What? That was, they've oh, you haven't heard it, about haven't this? Heard about they've come out as anti-Star Wars? And I don't think that the, the campaign itself has, but I've, there's something going on on Twitter with a hashtag. This is how I, I sound old. <laughs> there's a hashtag and these kids. No, um, you know, our colleague Holly Fry would know exactly what this is, but apparently there's been some accusation that Rogue One was rewritten as a uh, criticism of a Trump presidency. And uh, th- most people are saying, well, all the Star Wars movies are essentially about rebellion. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> Well, and just art is going to criticize the, the 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 status quo sure art is going to criticize whatever uh, system is in place yeah and that's the way it's always been it's not gonna not gonna stop if you try and stop it you're just gonna create a new model 
to, for, 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 that everyone's going to criticize. Well, yeah, exactly. And that's kind of what's been going on probably since people first started telling yeah. stories, that's, right? That's art. That's storytelling. Yeah. Get, get over it. Um, and then the other aspect of this as well that's different is that our heroes cannot be female. They're not always male. Mm-hmm. Case in point, Rogue One again is coming out in the stars, female. The last Star Wars movie had a, a female star. There's pushback against that because it's like, uh, it's, it's shifting this cultural identity of what we come to expect from heroism. Yeah. And that, right? again, that's not to say that there are not female heroes in older traditions. Not at but all. Yeah. They, they have been predominantly male. And in our cinematic traditions, you have seen predominantly male heroes. Yeah. So real quick, I just want to touch on this thing that I've mentioned on the show before. It's a, it's a theory about heroic myth that I, I find really intriguing. Uh, and it's related to work I've done in the past. It's called the Captain America Complex, or the other term for it is the American Monomyth. And it was written up by uh, two academics named Robert Jewett and John Shelton Lawrence. And basically their idea was that Captain America, the character, which we now, I think, know popularized Chris Evans playing him in the movies. Mm -hmm. But he's from comic books going back 70, almost 80 years. Um, He defines this new version of a hero that we've fallen in love with, which is an anti-democratic fantasy, as they describe it, where a superpowered every man saves society by stepping outside of institutions to violently punish enemies. And if you think about it, like a lot of our uh, most popular heroes from the last couple of years in TV or film or novels or whatever kind of line up with that, right? Like they may be a cop, but they have to go outside of the system to, yeah. to do the right thing or something like that. So there's a, yeah, there's, they, they, and that always, and that tends to work for them. Whereas yeah. generally the actual situation is we have systems for a reason because you know, they're not perfect, but they more or less work. Absolutely. And, and, and yet at the same time, there's this constant cultural push against those institutions. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, I mean, it, it permeates our media and our political language. Look at the, look at the presidential election from the last year. I mean, the the language that really resonated both for people like Bernie Sanders or Donald Trump was very much in the Captain America complex of that, you know, they have to step outside of the institutions in order to reform it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so and Captain America is also I mean, he's a, essentially a time traveler, right? I mean, he's yeah. frozen from a different age. So he is he is stepping outside of his own time. Exactly. Yeah. And that's. That's always the argument within the text is that like, well, because he has the values of the greatest generation, he's able to see what we cannot, Mm -hmm. uh, that we're like betraying, you know, what is essentially good. And so, uh, think about like the, the winter soldier movie with him, right? Like Mm -hmm. he immediately breaks away from the government in order to do the right thing and, and uncovers this grand conspiracy that's going on, you know? Um, so it's interesting. I think there's something to this and there's not a lot in the literature other than what these guys have done on this in terms of heroism. But, but as we're going through talking about what is a hero today, I think let's keep that in mind too. You know, uh, these symbols, especially I'm really interested to see what happens with the Captain America hero symbol over the next couple of years. Mm-hmm. Like what does, how does he change? How does he represent what's going on with us as a people as, uh, as a symbol? I'm really curious too about like, I'm often more interested in villains than heroes. I uh-huh. think villains can do the same thing as what we're talking about here, sort of defining values. So I'm curious to see what happens with that. Well, how many, how many, uh, evil comic book characters have we had, say, serve as president of the United States? I know Lex oh, Luthor, yeah. Red Skull. Yep. 
both prime examples, both especially Red Skull. It's hard for me to imagine how he got elected. I think he uh, was in disguise at the time or something like that. But um, from the work that I've done on Captain America, here's a here's a funny anecdote from the 70s. This is great run on Captain America by a guy named Steve Englehart. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's this massive conspiracy going on within the government. This is. Pre-Watergate, mind you, okay. okay? Nixon is the president at the time that these comic books are coming out. And Captain America uh, chases the lead all the way to the top, and he ends up at the Oval Office, and it's revealed that the president of the United States of America is the one who's in charge of this fascist uh, secret society that's trying to take control of the world. And you don't see Nixon's face in the comic book, mm-hmm. but he pulls a gun out of the desk in the Oval Office and blows his brains out. Huh. That's in a 1970s, before I was born, Captain uh-huh. America comic book. Wow. And it's pretty heavy stuff, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, you're right. How many, how many villains become the president? I mean, uh, I didn't really watch a lot of 24, but wasn't a lot of 24 about that? Like, is the president a good guy? Is he not? Can we save him? Should we save him? Stuff like that. Yeah, um, I never watched 24 either, but I know Homeland got into similar territory, right? Oh, okay. There was like the, the vice president was evil or something. Yeah, maybe that's what it was in 24 yeah. as well. Okay. Yeah, I mean, the, basically, when we're talking about myths and heroes, the the evil ruler, the evil king, is also uh, an idea that is as old as, as time. Yeah, absolutely. On that note, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we are going to get into acts of heroism. Heroism like the, the kind of heroism you see on the subway, the kind of heroism that you might uh, feel yourself drawn to uh, on a daily basis. So there's one really great paper that Robert and I looked to for a lot of what we're going to talk about next. It's by Zeno E. Franco, Kathy Blau, and Philip G. Zimbardo, and it's called Heroism, a Conceptual Analysis and Differentiation Between Heroic Action and Altruism. It came out in 2011 and it was published in General Psychology, and it's basically an empirical study of what we mean when we say hero. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they find some interesting paradoxes within this taxonomy. They basically locate like subtypes of heroes. And then they, like I mentioned at the top, sit down and survey an audience about what they think about this taxonomy. And they find some paradoxes in it. Uh, and it's, it's fascinating. Yeah. It's a great read. We'll try and include a link to it on the landing page for this episode at stuff to blow your mind.com. But, uh, just to begin to break it down a little bit, they presented the following guidelines for, for heroics. Uh, so first of all, the concept of uh, heroism is a way to unify several types of courageous or brave actions that have largely been treated independently uh, in the literature to date. Okay, yeah. And this is seen as, you know, heroism is seen by many as that's the apex of human behavior, right? Like, we think of it as something that's reserved only for an elect few people who have like special skills or something like that. And yet, Anybody could technically be a hero. Yeah. Uh, you need to come back to the, the comic book example uh, or just sort of the fictional ex- example. How many movies, how many comic books uh, feature a story in which a single character saves the world? Right. Yeah, absolutely. And how many times has that happened in the history of of the human race? <laughs> uh, ne- well, never. we just don't know, Robert, because <laughs> they're so humble about it. Yeah. Well, you know, but, but you, you see what I mean? It's like I do. There's, yeah. there's never... I'm not saying there are not threats that big, but life is not so simple <laughs> that it works yeah. that way. Yeah. Uh, okay. So other things that they, that, um, 
that uh, Zimbardo and his crew uh, pull out in this study. Uh, they say that the simple presence of risk accompanying pro-social behavior is not enough to define heroism. So just because you did something to help people mm. and there was a risk involved, that doesn't necessarily mean you're a hero. Yeah, okay. That's important to keep in mind as we uh, transition into thinking about the differences between altruism and heroism. Right. Also, they say uh, heroism is viewed as distinct from other pro-social activities such as compassion and uh, altruism, and that this may represent an entirely different behavior, uh, you know, unto itself. Because, yeah, just being compassionate about somebody, I mean, that's great. That's important. That doesn't mean you're a hero. Right. Doing something pro-social, like may, say you make an anonymous donation to a really good uh, charity or your nonprofit, that's great. But were you a hero? Uh no. Makes me think of like the rhetoric from a couple of years ago when we started calling certain politicians compassionate conservatives. Mm-hmm. And now like I wonder like if there's a point where we'll like label pol- politics as heroic, like <laughs> you're a heroic liberal or <laughs> something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, compassion, heroism. Yeah. It's kind of two separate. Whatever buckets. works to sell it. Yeah. Well, yeah. That's that's always the 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 the, the positive um, uh, descriptive terms are always going to be co-opted. Right. Yeah. Uh, another uh, statement this Zimbardo and company make, while heroism is primarily a positive and pro-social act, a simplistic view of this behavior misses important and sometimes negative aspects of the phenomenon. Yeah. So this is this should be noted, like what we mentioned earlier, uh, one person's hero could be another person's villain. Right. Mm-hmm. So take suicide bombers, for example. Right. And like I said earlier, this is this is really what interests me more is what defines our villains. I think that. It really gets to the bottom of what our culture values when we we can pinpoint, you know, like look next year uh, at all the, you know, Fast and the Furious, the, all these like big budget crazy movies that I mentioned yeah. earlier. Like, who are the villains in those? What do they represent? Does that does that stand in for what we all actually believe? Yeah, indeed. Now, in this um, in this paper, they they drive home the idea that uh, heroism demands noble purpose, which, of course, is subjective. It's time sensitive. Uh, and uh, that the hero must transcend fear. So they're not fearless. Uh, you know, certainly you have these examples of mythic heroes and they're, they're fearless, a man without fear, et cetera. But the, the idea here is they're driven by such noble purpose as to push through the, the force field of fear that would otherwise hold them back. Yeah, there's a point in the paper, uh, they, they say, you know, this is contrary to the myth. Most people are capable of heroism, regardless of whether they're fearless or not. Under the right conditions. And uh, Zimbardo and his, his cohorts actually refer to this as the banality of heroism, mm-hmm. which I really like because it's a it's a purposeful antonym of Hannah Arendt's banality of evil. That phrase that she came up with when she was examining Nazi war criminals on trial in Jerusalem. And I, it's just interesting to think about that, mm-hmm. that uh, we think of it being an extraordinary thing, but maybe it's not. Maybe well, it's just something we're all we've all got. It makes me think so. Superman. Most yeah. pretty much indestructible, right? Sure, yeah. Is it is he a hero if he's indestructible and he saves somebody from a burning ba- building? Right. Like well, it's not like yeah. you were going to burn up Superman. You were going to you, you're you're going to mess up your costume. Maybe that definitely plays with the risk assessment yeah. part there. Yeah, it'd be interesting to take their formula and apply it to various like uh, heroes of pop culture mm-hmm. and see how they line up. All right, so we have the hero go, pushing through that force field of fear. So. 
a hero has to break psychological barriers to carry out their acts, such as uh, the bystander effect. Uh, by which, and this is the effect that uh, uh, that I'm, uh, we've covered on the show before in the past. Uh, this is where everyone just stands there watching the horror or the misfortune happen. Mm-hmm. Um, Think of like. A car crash on the highway and everybody just slows down and drives and watches it. Yeah. Or something you say you're on a train and somebody is acting out. Somebody's right. acting a little bit threatening and everyone's kind of frozen because who is going to act? What's the social contract here? Yeah. There's a great bit I always come back to from the TV show Louie, where uh-huh. I believe he's walking with his walking with his daughter or a, a younger person. I think maybe it's his daughter. Okay. And there is a there's a like a homeless person with, you know, begging for. For, for money, for food, for anything, uh, there by the subway entrance. And, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the person asked Louie, well, who is that? What should, do they need our help? Should we do something? And, and he's like, oh yeah, yeah, he, he really needs our help. He needs our help more than, more than, more than anybody on earth. Uh, but, but let's ignore but him. But we just, we just ignore him. That's yeah. what we do. Yeah. So, uh, and then we also have normalcy bias, uh, and also psychogenic death. So this, uh, these two, uh, situations, these sort of summarize this temptation to freeze up or just continue doing what you're doing, even though everything is going wrong. Um, for instance, um, the, the plane is crashing, but instead of trying to, you know, jump to action or do something, you just, uh, you know, press play on your iPad again. Uh, and there are exa- plenty of yeah. examples of this kind of thing happening. Oh, yeah, certainly. Um, yeah. And in fact, I, I imagine a number of listeners can think to traumatic or semi-traumatic times in your life where, like there's nothing to do. You don't have the, how do you react? You just keep going with the normal path because you have no, you have no training for the abnormal path. You have no training for, for any kind of emergency response. I think back to that moment I brought up at the top of the episode, you know, uh, this guy was harassing a woman in front of me. I was watching it, but my brain was like disconnected from the reality in Mm -hmm. front of me. And I was like, what am I supposed to do here? And, you know, uh, the, my girlfriend at the time clearly didn't have that same thing and she acted. Yeah. And now, of course, this gets into a key area. Like who would act clearly a, uh, like a a police officer or someone with training as a police officer might act. And that gets into this idea that it's also been argued that uh, heroism requires knowledge and preparation. And indeed, there are plenty of cases where you can say, well, the, the hero can only act efficiently if they know what to do. Specialized task at hand, using CPR, swimming into dangerous waters to save someone, etc. Though, of course, we can also think of heroic scenarios in which the hero jumps in and does something that they're not trained to do. You know, right. like a yeah. non-firefighter jumping into a flaming building and carrying uh, a baby out, out, a out baby. or something. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. So when you look at uh, the discipline, traditionally, psychology has actually avoided the term heroism. They like to use terms like civil courage or extreme altruism, which I like. That sounds like a, a like a like a caffeine drink or something <laughs> like that. Extreme altruism. Have some extreme altruism. Uh, like it's a solo. Cybin, um, Red Bull kind of a <laughs> yeah, drink. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but the authors of this paper that we're talking about, they divided it up into three modes of heroism that they make sure involves a level of peril or sacrifice that goes beyond what we think of as pro-social behaviors. And, and, uh, they also think that, you know, this requires a willingness to enter a fraught situation despite clear barriers to entry and obvious paths to exit. And the final thing is that they, think that heroism's got to transcend considerable fear in order to act decisively. Yeah. 
The so, fear has to be in place. Otherwise, it couldn't, again, it comes to Superman. Yeah. He's not afraid of that fire. Is he even Maybe heroic? this is like, you know, so many people, I've always kind of felt like this too, but so many people always say like, eh, I just don't really care for Superman. I mean, he's got like all those powers. It's just boring. Mm-hmm. Batman, I can relate to that, you know? Yeah, I Maybe mean, that, Batman can die. Um, yeah. Batman, Batman can be shot. Maybe you know? that like he gets to the heart of the whole thing is that like Superman is just intrinsically not heroic. <laughs> I guess yeah, unless like there's kryptonite. Yeah, the kryptonite cre- like that makes him human. That yeah. and that makes him a that presents risk. Right, right. So okay, let's look at these 3 that they broke down and it's important to remember that these 3 came before they did that survey. Right. So first we have martial or military heroism. So physical risk duty bound heroes and this is usually within the within a war context military context though there is bleed over into certain areas such as police firefighters coast guard etc physical risk you're doing your duty by acting heroically and robert and i were talking about this before we came into the studio but i just before we did i, I found this 2009 study by bloomberg hess and revive on specifically martial heroism and they showed empirical evidence. I I don't know how I feel about this, but the way that they measured it was by looking at the amount of congressional medals of honor and silver stars that have been awarded in the last 35 years. And apparently it's been less and less over time. And so they said, well, what's going on with that? Why do we have less heroes? Because that's like, I guess our measurement system for, for heroic, at least a uh, martial heroic acts. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they determined that this is actually a decline because of technological change, because we have technology now that makes combat less labor intensive or mm. makes it easier to fight fires. Right. Uh, and so therefore there's less risk and subsequently less reward, which is mm. kind of strange, but worth thinking about when you consider this type of heroism. Huh? So yeah, on one hand, I'm thinking about drones, of course. Yeah. And, and distancing, like there's what personal risk is there? Right. Is the person operating a drone in a control room in Washington, DC, a hero? Right. Uh, and then the other way of looking at it, uh, so in, in military context, I can't help but think of, or even just any kind of like strategic situation with risk. I end up thinking about, say, a level of uh, of XCOM or XCOM. Two. Oh, right, yeah, and, yeah. And so, if you if you get your you get your power ups in place, you get the right weapons, the right armor, the right strategy, and the enemies are not too difficult. You can yeah. kind of pull it off like clockwork in some cases. Yeah. And so you're not having these risky, ultimately uh, empowering uh, situations where like a character barely survives and like falls through a burning floor and still manages to shoot the alien. I suppose that's where, uh, what we refer to as intelligence in mm-hmm. like, you know, foreign diplomacy and also, uh, combat comes into play, right? Like if you have enough intelligence ahead of time, then you can prepare adequately. I don't know if that makes these people less of heroes or not, but then they may not necessarily be rewarded. Well, if you're the same way that we used you, to, we really don't want heroic. <laughs> like, yeah, if, if the exactly. system is, is perfected, there should be no, like, for instance, we're recording podcasts in here. There's no um, expectation of uh, of heroics because yeah. there shouldn't be. Nothing should catch on fire all of a sudden. Let's hope not. Yeah. yeah. And it should, you know, but it's going to be the same with, uh, you know, a, a really uh, refined, um, you know, emergency response plan. Yeah. Et yeah. True. Yeah. So that's interesting that we have so many systems in place to to make sure we don't have to be heroes. Right. 
All right, the next one is civil heroism. This is physical risk, but non-duty-bound heroism. Uh, the classical example here is just the civilian bystander who performs an emergency rescue. Right, yeah, the idea of, like, somebody, I don't know, there's a car. So the car crash example again. Right. You pull over, you immediately run over. Maybe the engine's on fire. You don't know if it's going to blow up or something. You get the adrenaline. You're able to pull the door open and and carry the person away, right? Yeah, something average, like that. average Joe or Jane yeah. saves a life, then steps back into normal life. Yeah. And then there's social heroism. This is the third category they, they, they presented at the start of the paper. Then this one's interesting because in the short term, it's often non-physical risk, non-duty bound heroism. But the authors point out that while the physical risk in the previous scenarios are generally short term, uh, and the hero returns to a safe life almost immediately afterwards. So the social hero is likely to face risk in the long term, even pr- prolonged uh, insidious risk in the long term. While the, the previous uh, forms of heroism are usually not controversial, the social hero often is. So the idea here is a social hero may stand up for something that's important and they may never live an, a normal life again. Yeah, and but because it's over a long period of time, we don't often comprehended as such uh instead of facing like physical peril they're associated with things like taking financial risks and mm-hmm. having consequences economically or losing their social status or having long-term health problems or even social ostracism right yeah uh but we don't traditionally think of those as heroic and this is where it gets interesting with this study well you know it also makes me think of superman again superman uh, yeah. stands for one thing right and he's been around around long enough that uh, you can speak to this better than, than me. I don't know if he's ever been an outright villain, but there have been cases where Superman takes on villainous tones. Oh, it's good old red kryptonite. Every mm-hmm. time yeah, in the new Supergirl TV show, they do oh, yeah? this too. Yeah. It's always the red kryptonite. It does something that makes them weird and they go evil. And yeah. And then they have to face the consequences afterwards because people think of them as being a monster. Okay. Or, um, what was the, uh, the, the, the classic, the dark Knight, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, is Superman kind of villainous in that? Is he, he takes on like Reagan-esque qualities, right? Yeah, it's supposed to be, uh, the Dark Knight's a complicated comic to talk about in these terms, especially. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, the idea is that he's sort of like a government stooge and like, uh, Batman is more like, I guess you'd describe him today as like a libertarian hero, maybe? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So in any of these cases, someone stands up if they're heroic socially. Yeah. They're going to be the villain for the people who have different social uh, values or yeah. different political values, and they, the 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 trends may turn, the tide may turn, and they might be cast as a villain by whatever the the predominant narrative uh, is in the future. Yeah, yeah, absolutely true. That gets back to what I was saying about villains earlier. That like, how do, how does it demonstrate the limits of what we conceive as being uh, culturally acceptable? And so it's interesting when you go back to this paper, their definition of hero then boils down to this. Uh, it's somebody who is in service to others that are in need, people who are possibly uh, defending a social standard. They engage voluntarily. They have recognition of what the possible risks are to themselves. They are willing to accept the anticipated sacrifice that goes along with their actions and they don't think about any external gain at the time of the act. It's not like I'm trying to think of an example here, like somebody like John McCain or John Kerry, who were like in combat and then came back and were able to um, use the the risks that they 
saw in combat to become great political figures, right? Right. It's not like they were thinking about, I don't know. I don't know those two guys, but hopefully they weren't thinking about that while they were in the act, right? Right. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's one thing to, of course, to capitalize, capitalize might even, I think might be an unfair term. It's, it's one thing. I mean, a heroic act may have a, a profound impact on the hero's life, either yeah. sort of altering their course or there have also been cases where it has a, a negative uh, effect. I think uh, the, the paper uh, we're looking at here referred to some uh, anecdotal uh, evidence that showed like an increased uh, suicide rate sure. among uh, individuals who acted heroically, say, you know, in the classic uh, someone falls on the subway tracks uh situation. Yeah. Well, think about how much we've talked about PTSD Mm -hmm. on this show before uh, in relation to military service. Yeah. But certainly a case where someone stops and thinks, hmm, somebody fell on some train tracks. Is there anybody watching? Should I jump down and save them? Yeah. Um, That could be good for me. I better do it. Like that's that's not a hero. Yeah. So, all right. They they took these three categories that we mentioned and then they Busted out into 12 classifications. Uh, and let's, let's remember to remind ourselves here. One hero is a social construction. Okay. So what they come up with here, they're not, they're just saying this is what we think the current social construction is. It may not actually reflect the merits of somebody's actions. And then one of the paradoxes that they point to is that it's considered to be a pro-social behavior, as we've mentioned earlier, but to be so, it has to be witnessed, uh, right? Are you a hero? It's like the thing, like, is can anybody hear a tree uh, that falls in the forest if there's nobody there right. or whatever, you know? Like, is somebody a hero if there's nobody there to witness it? Um, what about the heroes who don't have an audience but are heroic in private somehow? Yeah. So, okay, let's go through this list. You want to bounce uh, back and forth? Yeah, let's just go back and forth. Okay. So the first two we're going to hit are the, uh, the the definite physical peril examples. Uh, the first one being military or other duty-bound physical risk heroes. Yeah, and then we've got the civil heroes. These are the non-duty-bound physical risk heroes. Uh, and then all of the ones after this, they line up under that social heroism category. Uh, so they're they're facing social sacrifices rather than physical peril. That's right. So we have religious figures, uh, political religious figures, martyrs, uh, political or military leaders. This one's interesting. Adventurers, explorers and discoverers. Yeah. And then after that, they have scientific discovery heroes. OK. And then Good Samaritans, somebody who, you know, helps out a complete stranger for no gain. Yeah. Uh, odds beater, which is a strange phrase, uh, or just like the underdog, basically. Mm-hmm. And then we have bureaucracy heroes. So this is uh, someone who serves as an agent of change within a bureaucratic system. Yeah. And then finally, we've got whistleblowers, which I think is pretty interesting because of how many uh, biopics we've seen lately about whistleblowers and they're celebrated as heroes in these films. And I'm sure as we go through, went through that list, uh, you know, everybody can think of of multiple examples from either history or certainly current events sure. that, that line up with some of these. And you can probably think of examples that you, you can say, oh, well, so-and-so is technically, technically they were an underdog, but I don't see them as a hero at all. But then we're getting into the, um, the, uh, the subjective nature of the thing. Oh yeah, totally. I mean, think of, um, I, oh, this is a perfect example. Edward Snowden. Yeah. Is Edward Snowden a hero? He's a whistleblower. Yeah. yeah. But some people hate him. Yeah. Some people think he's a, uh, he should be tried, uh, and like executed, right? Yeah. 
Well, uh, Donald Trump is another polarizing figure. There you go. Uh, yeah. Who d- he was an underdog. He defied the odds. Yeah. And uh, and won the election. Therefore, you know, plenty of people see him as a heroic figure. Others see him as a villainous figure. So let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to look at the findings that this team had when they observed what people actually thought about these 12 categories they came up with and whether or not they were heroes or not. So by and large, psychologists tend to look at heroism in terms of other psychological situations. Uh, We've touched on this already. Civil courage, courageous resistance, extreme altruism, (laughs) and of course, moral courage. Yeah. Yeah. So the question here really is, how does heroism align with altruism? Are they the same thing? So far, it seems like they're not, right? Uh, yeah, that seems to be the consensus. So altruism is, of course, uh, this is a topic unto itself, grounded in the, the concern or welfare of others. Uh, but is there, is, is there such a thing as a truly altruistic act? That's, I, I think there's an old episode of this podcast that, that even tackled that. Oh yeah. Uh, because you can, you, there's a strong argument that you can say, well, it's always about yourself. It's always about what people are going to think about you. For say, think of it as just simple as donating to a nonprofit. Right. Did you push that share button on Facebook to share the fact that you donated or to let people know that you donated? Yeah, exactly. And even if nobody is told about it, are you still doing it just for that own personal boost of of like, oh, I did something good. I feel better about myself now. And And are you nitpicking too much to say that that is a negative thing? This gets to the heart of. Uh, the whole safety pin or no safety pin argument over the last month or so here right. in the States, mm-hmm. which is like, are you doing that for other people or are you doing it for yourself? And even if you are doing it for other people, should you be? Yeah. Yeah. So it gets, it gets it's complicated. It gets messy. And you, yeah. yeah, you can, you can kind of nitpick it to death until you're like, all right, I guess I'm not going to do anything good. Right. Because yeah. there's, it's impossible for me to do a purely good thing. Yeah. So, but what we can definitely agree on here is that heroism is very often altruistic. Though some of the examples that we just touched on, is, you know, in that uh, that twelve point list, uh, some of those examples buck the trend. You know, is an explorer truly altruistic? Was Christopher Columbus altruistic? Yeah, I, I don't know. I think there is a very strong argument to say that he was not. Right. But you can think of other explorers who were. So how do how do they uh, break down the difference then? These uh, Franco, Blau, and Zimbardo. Okay, so. The authors here argue that the key differences between mere altruism and outright heroics, it all boils down to risk, velocity and barriers to entry. Okay. so risk. This is pretty obvious. There is a real immediate or lasting risk to acting death, injury, the ire of opposing factions, government crackdown, imprisonment, etc. And they point out too. they say the level of risk that's incurred in altruism is typically lower than even the minimum risk threshold we think of to achieve heroic status. Right. Yeah. Again, donating to a good cause is altruistic, but (laughs) nobody even needs to know about it. Yeah. All right. Next, velocity. So there is typically a very small window of opportunity for the hero to act. Uh, the building is burning now. The swimmer is drowning now. It's not the the ideal time to, to speak out within the strict confines of a governing system, but it's the ideal time from the human perspective. Yeah, and this definitely lines up with what they described as military and civil heroism, right? right. Because you have to act in the moment, whereas the social heroism is uh, longitudinal. It occurs over time. Right, but even in the social situation, you know, it, it's just, you, you look at, uh, say, certain... 
you know, civil rights heroes, for instance. Yeah. There are many forms of protest, for example, that uh, that either, uh, you know, skirt the uh, the limits of legal protest. Yeah. Or certainly just are more, you know, problematic model, like, you know, a, a sit in um, mm-hmm. even Rosa Parks, you know, like it's not like she filed paperwork about uh, the, uh, the the situation. She acted and she yeah, did so in a true. way that uh, that was problematic and risky. That's true. Yeah. Good. Point. But ultimately more potent and powerful. Yeah. To uh, a, another way to, to to think about this, I like to think of um, the Big Lebowski. Uh-huh. The, uh, oh, yeah. The stranger in the Big Lebowski. That, that uh, would be uh, Sam Elliott. Sam Elliott. That's yep. right. He said uh, beef. It's what's for dinner. <laughs> no, that's that's uh, I know you, you're breaking into Brimley. It's, huh? uh, it's a uh, <laughs> James Adomian joke. Oh, yeah. Wow. Anyways, sorry. Um, so, so the quote is uh, I only mention it because sometimes there's a man. I won't say a hero because uh, what's a hero? But sometimes there's a man, and I'm talking about the dude here. Sometimes there's a man, well, he's the man for his time and place. He fits right in there. Yeah. Is the dude a hero? I think that's one of the big questions about the Big Lebowski. It's the big question of our generation. I think if we can answer that one, we can solve everything. Sometimes being a hero is just being in the right right place at the right time and then doing something. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. All right. And then the third one, barriers to entry. And for this, let's consider once more the, the, the bystander effect. And remember that acts of altruism in uh, public scenarios tend to follow several seconds or, or minutes of frenzied indecision. You may go back and forth on it, but ultimately you have to act. You have to be able to able and willing to break through social norms. And in some cases, that means you have to be a deviant. Yeah. And so this is where things get interesting with this study. So when they applied their taxonomy to the survey that we mentioned, they found that civilian fire rescue was deemed as the most purely heroic act, while a soldier laying down his life for others to escape was actually rated as slightly less. And they saw this as suggesting that um, perception ascribes more heroic value to actions that are taken when there's no specific duty that exists, right? So if a civilian runs into a burning building, that's somehow more heroic to us than if a firefighter does, even mm-hmm. though they're both, they both have the same risks. Although I guess you could say that a firefighter has training. True. Yeah. And that's weird that we would, we would then devalue the importance, the, yeah. the importance of training and being a hero. Yeah. Uh, because ultimately like that dude just ran into the flaming building. He could have died too because he didn't know what he was doing. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, they also found the social heroism activities were seen as less heroic and more as altruism. Only four of their forms of social heroism were actually seen as heroic by the people who took the survey. And those were the good Samaritans, the politico religious figures, individuals fighting against an unjust bureaucracy and whistleblowers. Hmm. Uh, and this led to them reconfiguring it. So they, they broke social heroism into two different, uh, categories. Those who defy systems and those who defy reality. Hmm. And so that gets back to the explorer, um, the Christopher Columbus thing. So an explorer that's making a discovery, it seems great. They're defying reality. They're not defying systems. Gotcha. Okay. Um, Whereas physical risk heroes are viewed as more prototypically heroic. Well, I guess it comes down to just there's less uh, ambiguity. Uh, if, uh, you know, that saving someone from a burning f- fire 
Like there's no like, what's the fire's point of view? Right. You know, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's pretty clear what's going on. The fire is consuming How fuel. How the fire feel about that? Yeah. Man? Yeah. But, you know, I, I love this idea of the deviant hero. And that's that's from um, the uh, the Franco Blau and uh, Zimbardo uh, study. You know, they point out that heroism is ultimately kind of crazy. You have to deviate from social norms, from social expectations, individual expectations. you got to break through not just one, not just the force field of fear, but like multiple force fields. Yeah. You got to. Yeah. You ultimately kind of have to be a little a, a little superhuman to to do that. You have to be a special kind of crazy. You have to be a deviant. This makes me feel slightly less bad about not being the person to stand up on that bus all those years ago and defend that young woman. But at the same time, it's still it. And this is something before we even came up with this as a topic I've been questioning lately in myself is what do I have what it takes to to do something heroic if it comes to it? You know, can I break through those force fields? Maybe we're all asking that question. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I couldn't help but think of all these different superheroes again to bring up superheroes yeah. is that they're all ultimately deviants. Right. I mean, they're right. all they're all uh, costumed individual. I'm not you know, not every superhero has a costume, but a lot of them are costumed individuals They're They have screwed up backstories. They have pain. They have disfigurements. They have, you know, mutant genes. Yeah. 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 It's interesting. Um on my other podcast, Super Context, we just did an episode about Luke Cage. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've watched that TV show. I've, I've watched a. I have about half of it. I guess. And it's, it's, yeah, so that's about the same as me. Uh, and it's, it's a really interesting example when you think about heroism, especially in relation to African American culture today. And, uh, they really had some themes in that TV show where they were, they were attempting to show, um, both the culture on sort of like a street level, mm-hmm. but also Luke Cage as a hero that really represented things that were, uh, seen as like traditionally non-heroic, like, for instance, wearing a hoodie, you know, mm-hmm. like they they purposely had scenes where he was wearing a hoodie while he was getting shot to show a contrast to the example of young black men getting shot at for wearing hoodies. Hmm. Yeah, it's a uh, uh, from what I've seen of the show so far. It's very good. And the um, the music is phenomenal. Definitely yeah, the music's great. Yeah. The guy who wrote it was a music journalist. And so he just re- really brought in all of his old contacts to make the music great on that show. Yeah, I believe it's uh, Adrian Young is the, yeah, uh, the music one guy. of the producers. Mm-hmm. And then uh, one of the guys from Tribe Called Quest. Cool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So uh, definitely, definitely check that out. And if you don't have time to watch it, just listen to it. Uh, so, you know, we're going to bring this bringing this back around to fictional heroes like Luke Cage, like Superman and Batman. Uh I think it's nice to bring it back to these mythical and fictional heroes because there's that inevitable interplay that we discussed at the top. These models inform us how to act, how to be heroes. They show us what we can be if we just break through the fear and break through those uh, psychological norms. Yeah. I want to, I want to close this section off with just a quick quote from that uh, Franco Blau and Zimbardo uh, paper that we've been talking about. Quote, the construct of heroic imagination is central to our view of heroism, although it remains largely theoretical and has not been adequately characterized to date. Our initial work in this area suggests that the heroic imagination functions in three distinct ways. How heroes are imagined in classic writing and by the general public, a mental state of anticipation and readiness for any person to act heroically when opportunities arise, calling for heroic actions, as a contrast with the hostile imagination or the psychology of enmity, which instills fear and hatred of enemies, and at least in some individuals, the ability to envision 
and communicate a new way of ordering a social system or an entire society. So I think this is a good place for us to close out. We've asked a lot of questions. I don't think that this is something that psychology as a discipline is really nailed down yet. Myth is constantly changing, so mm-hmm. it hasn't yet. But I'm curious what you, the audience, think. Are these examples that we provided, especially from this paper by these these three academics, are these heroes? You know, where where do you think this falls? Are you more on the side of it's the people who take physical risk or do you think social heroes fall in tune? Who are your heroes? And more importantly, do you think you could be a hero if it came down to it? So let us know. Uh, there's lots of ways to contact us. You could reach out to us on social media. We're on Facebook, Tumblr, Twitter and Instagram. Uh, you can visit us at stufftoblowyourmind.com to find links to all those social media platforms. What else is over there, Robert? Oh, at the website? Yeah. Oh, well, we have all the podcasts, all the blogs, all the videos. Uh, we have links out to all those various social media accounts as well. Uh, oh, and hey, before we uh, we close it out here, I also want to point out that uh, Dr. Philip Zimbardo, one of the authors on this study, uh, he actually has a uh, 501 uh, nonprofit organization called the Heroic Imagination Project, or HIP, uh, and it teaches people how to take effective action in challenging situations. Yeah, so this is a, a thing that we're trying to do occasionally on the show, you mm-hmm. know, uh, find a, a, a charitable organization that relates to the topic at hand. And uh, this seems like a really cool one. I was looking at it. And it's funny, I, I was looking for groups, and the mm-hmm. first one that came up, I saw Zimbardo's name, and I was like, oh, well, yeah. that makes sense. Yeah, we got we to gotta mention Zimbardo yeah. since, uh, since we, we, we got so much out of his study. And so, the, ch- yeah, check that out. We'll include a link for it on on the landing page of this episode or just do a search for the, the Heroic Imagination Project. And the last way that you could reach out to us if you really want to tell us all your thoughts on heroes is the old-fashioned email at blowthemind at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. I'm <laughs> sorry.